ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Weighing In. This is episode 91. I'm your host, Alex Dean, alongside David Mirakatani. David, I looked up as many results as possible and couldn't find anything good that happened on July 31st in wrestling. We are truly in the off-season. The dog days of summer, my friend. <laughs> the dog days of summer. How are you, Alex? How's life? I'm good. How are you, David? I'm good. I'm a year older, so, um, It'd be, you know, turn it. No, no, no wiser, just older, closer to getting my social security, you know, things like that. Stuff you young guys wouldn't understand. So, <laughs> everything's good though, man. Um, what'd you think about Turkey? Well, it was, it was as advertised. Um, I think the seating points that United World Wrestling came up with, delivered another good tournament um it was a good turnout it's some quality competition and you know a mixed bag for team usa and we'll get into that but overall yeah. i've seen our guys tested at this time of year we got a long way to go till the world championships so plenty of time to work on that stuff most definitely so i guess that's where we're going first yasser dogu this week uh if you didn't here, Team USA sent their men's freestyle A team. All the world team members are went, and it was a seeding tournament for United World Wrestling. We had several members in the mix for seeds for the world championships. There's one more tournament, so those are not final yet. But um, David, you just want to run through the results real quick. However you want to do it, Alex. I'll follow you, boss. Okay. Well. Let's just start with the match everybody's talking about because that we can get to the rest of it. Um, but <laughs> Frank Chimizo, Jordan Burroughs. I mean, I think if we let them wrestle every week and put it on pay-per-view, wrestling might actually get in the mainstream. I mean, that, my goodness, what a match. Um, obviously didn't go Jordan Burroughs' way. It was in the finals. Um, ended up 10-10 to with Chimizo winning on criteria. Lots of action, lots of controversy. What did you make of it? It was interesting. I was texting with a bunch of D1 guys in the morning, and, you know, the overwhelming consensus was, was Burroughs. Um, I, I think from a – there's a, a bunch of different ways to approach it. I think I'll talk first to you and get your input. I think both of the challenges, obviously in hindsight, were core, but I think it really hurt, you know, Burroughs more. They both ended up losing – but it prevented, you know, USA from challenging that, that four-point move. And you know, it's easy to say in hindsight, but you know, it just didn't look like the move that they challenged to be a two-point move was going to be. And so instead of him being up 1-0, he was actually losing 1-1 on, on the last point. When, when you saw that first brick go in, what were your thoughts? I, my initial reaction was that I was surprised they challenged it in the first place because it was a close call. I don't, I mean, obviously Burroughs probably knows more than anybody else, but I think that's the dangerous part of listening to the wrestler. I mean, you in the corner, you have a better view of what the referee might have seen versus did not see and what it looked like. Wrestler's going to feel it more. So maybe he saw that he had secured the ankles and the knees were down and it should have been too. But if that doesn't show up on the video, you're going to lose that challenge. And then, as I got to thinking about it, that's when the strategic aspect, and I watched it, you know, after the fact. So I didn't, and I didn't know the outcome, but immediately I started thinking, oh man, 
if there's another close call here, <laughs> we just yeah. burn the brick. Like the, there's no more brick for Burroughs. And that's, and, and that's what happened, you know, relating the match with the four. So, and, you know, to get into the four a little bit, I, based on what I saw, I don't think it was four, but I can say this without question. I'm not sure a challenge there would have done any good because it was impossible to see from the camera angle. I don't know how you would overturn something like that if that was the call on the mat. So in that case, I don't think it really cost him the match, but yeah, it's, it's a weird situation with the challenge system because I think, and I hope they're doing this. I I would think anyone that's going to be in the corner should be going through scenarios in their head. And I would even say like the NFL coaches that have the two point conversion charts and when to go for it and when not to there should be some scenarios where I don't care how bad the call is, you're not going to challenge. And I think 1-0, 10, 15 seconds into the match, I think that's one of those situations. Okay, I can challenge to get a point, but now I've got five and a half plus minutes to go. That's, to me, that's a never challenge situation. But, you know, it, it, it's in a match where there's 20 points scored, I don't think you can really point to one and go, well, that cost him the match. Eh, Hopefully we figure that out by world championships and maybe we're a little bit smarter on the challenges. It's so interesting that you say that about the scenarios and, you know, like the two point conversion and there's even like when you go for an onside kick and, you know, all those, you know, those kind of scenarios in football. And I was in Jack Saunders corner in Vegas and again in uh, Minnesota and literally on the ride up those are some of the scenarios i was going through with coaches that i trust that are really smart guys and they were you know they were hopeful they were also kind of laughing at me like man you're a nerd but you know when you're there your job as a coach is to help a guy and a lot of times the only thing you can do is correctly or incorrectly throw a brick you know because the action happens it's very difficult to you know yell super helpful things at times plus these guys are pretty dang good um, but you know, that's one thing where you can, you know, make a big difference. And, you know, Josh's match with Aruja, they were like, I think we threw the brick two or three times and they threw it twice. And, you know, if, if one of those bricks had gone the other way, Josh loses that match instead of wins it and it makes a big difference. And, you know, his national ranking and things like that. Uh, and you, you, you may be right about the four point calls on the angle, but you know, it's also, well, did he maybe get a takedown at the end? Was there a knee down? It's just, I think the whole point of what you're saying is incredibly valid, which is it's probably just not worth it that early. Like it's, it's almost, unless it's just a, like an so God awful office, awful call. You just let it go. You know? So the next thing that kind of stuck out to me in that match, and it's not like we don't know this, but obviously to me, those defenses next level, I think that Burroughs, is going to either, it's so hard to say because he's so good, either figure out how to finish cleaner or be satisfied with some of those one-point takedowns. And then the other thing that I thought was really technical was how active Chimizo was after he got taken down. He actually pulled Burroughs into like a cross-body ride position, almost put him on his back and got a reversal out of it. But he's dangerous from the bottom and you know that's not something that happens by accident yeah i think we've seen that a couple of times 
for other people. I think, I don't think anybody does it as well as Chimizo does worldwide, but you know, we saw the same thing in when Gilman and Fix were wrestling at final X that just because you get a takedown, if the guy on bottom is paying attention and reacts quickly, they can score from there. But Chimizo does it almost out of, you know, almost as an offense of his own. He uses that defense. And then even if you score on him, he's still going to check your position and make sure that, you know, you're doing everything right. And if you're not, he's going to score on you. You know, I'm not saying Burroughs made a mistake, but Burroughs was a little off balance there. And he, you know, got the hips a little bit low and Chimizo almost exposed him there. Um, I agree with you. I mean, Burroughs, I don't know that you can say if you're in Burroughs champ, well, we're going to finish cleaner next time because Chimizo is that good and he does that to everybody. So I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's the right answer. Although, I mean, obviously you, you want to do that, but um, I think you're right. I think settling for a one here and there, um, you know, taking what you can get, it's it's hard because you can't cut a guy in, in freestyle wrestling. You can't just let them up. Um, so you have to get to a position where you can at least stay on top for, you know, until they bring you back mm-hmm. up. So that's tough. Um you know, there was a lot of points in that match. The one thing I will say, I mean, you know, lots of people are talking about Chimizo's defense, and it was incredible, as it always is. But I will say that, you know, Burroughs could have shut this match down. I think he was up 8-4 to four maybe um, in the second period. He, was, he had an edge, a clear edge, and Chimizo went and got a takedown. And that to me was yeah. really, that to me said more about how good Frank Chimizo is and how dangerous he's going to be going forward than anything else because yeah we know his defense is next level and we know he can scramble and we know he can score on anybody um when they when they attack him but that when he going to get a takedown when he needed one against Burroughs who's a really good second period wrestler in international wrestling usually doesn't give up points after the break that was really impressive and it set up the end of the match and he finished clean absolutely you no know, he got in and finished clean and I think that, you know, I think if you're Burroughs, you're like, okay, I have to stay on offense even more. Not that Jordan ever doesn't, but it's like, man, now if I give up another two, we're tied. And, you know, I think at that point, 8-8, eight, eight, it would have been, I think it would have been in Chimizo's favor based on last points. Maybe not, I don't know, but I think so. But, yeah, he just, that you know, you, know, you made a point about not being able to let the guy up. Obviously, that's true. The other side of it is, if you're down six points to me, you're only down three takedowns, not two and one, two and one, two and one, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, it, it's, it's a fascinating, you know, the, the rematch is going to be fascinating. And then, you know, what plays into this was I actually got a call from Kendall Cross on Friday morning and, you know, we, we got the press release out on track about Chimizo, you know, now training at the NYC RTC and, yeah, there's all kinds of conversation about this. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to actually see Kendall on Thursday night, try to get an interview with him. You know, what are your thoughts on Chimizo training here full time, you know, against obviously one, you know, one of the icons of, of our sport period and definitely one of the American icons, you know, how do you think, you know, what do you think about that? How do you think it's playing across the country? You know, what are the perceptions there? I, I understand why people are, a little reticent about it. And I mean, it looks a little weird when you see him beat Burroughs, but frankly, I don't have a problem with it at all. Um, you know, the, when you follow other sports, you see this stuff more, you see 
you know, in track and field and cross country, it's pretty common for international athletes from a lot of different countries to come over here and, you know, to go to college or just to train here. So I, I don't know if it's that, or if I just like the fact that, you know, we have the best athletes in the world training here and we don't right now, but, you know, for, to have Chimizo, it's another step in that direction, you know, Taha Atgul in a completely, it's different scenario. He came over just to train with Kyle Snyder for a week or two here and there. I think they've done it twice, at least that I remember. That's good. I like that. I like that they're here. I like that they're at these RTCs. Now I understand that, you know, in wrestling, especially we're in a limited resource environment. And so I know, I understand people will sit there and say, you know, well, that should be going to an American, but you know, at the end of the day, this is good for wrestling. It's good for wrestling in the U S you know, Frank Chimizo is exciting. Frank Chimizo is really good. And yeah, maybe he'll beat Burroughs. Maybe he won't, but all those people at the New York city RTC are going to be better for having him in that room. You know, we're going to get more publicity when he does something because now if you're in the New York area, you can write a story about Frank Chimizo and hook it to a local story. You don't have to, you know, say, well, this, you know, Cuban guy that wrestles for Italy won something and he's really great. Well, that's this guy that trains here, you know, at New York City RTC. So I think the benefits out, and it looks a little weird, but I don't have a problem with it at all. What do you think? Well, it's interesting. You know, I, when we have these conversations, it's always just nice to play devil's advocate with each other. And for, for people that don't know, I actually, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, like who was on what side of it. I think if you take the other side of it, you take the nationalist point of view, it's look, hey, you know, we're America. We should be trying to promote Americans. It's so complex, though, right? Because, like, there's guys that, you know, grow up here and then represent other countries uh, in the uh, in the Olympics who have dual citizenship. And it doesn't seem to matter. And I think a lot of it is because they don't think those guys can beat our American. Like, oh, there's some guy representing Slovakia or Romania or, you know, like Franklin Gomez was an NCAA champion. He's representing Puerto Rico. And, you know, the, you don't have the, any training, you know, training at Penn State. And there wasn't the same uproar about it. And I think it's one, they, you know, maybe people didn't think Franklin could beat Metcalf, although he did. And two, Metcalf wasn't Jordan Burroughs. So I think it's directly correlated to who Burroughs is and how good Chimizo is. And the other thing to look at from an RTC, just a business standpoint, and I, I'm really going to be interested in Kendall's answers, but they need to create a buzz. They need to create a training environment where other good guys want to come. And Chimizo, not only is he really good, he wrestles a style that is almost impossible to replicate, and he wrestles a style that is obviously effective against you know, some of the best guys in the world, you know, the scramble that he had against, you know, the Russian where he ended up pinning him. I mean, just insane things. Like you just, you can't do that play wrestling, much less going against an absolute hammer going live. And so that's going to help draw bodies to that place. And so that's, you know, that's important for, you know, for them. And it's always like the macro and the micro. Well, what's best for the United States? And then, you know, what's best for that particular RTC or something like that. But 
I'm certain, you know, I had uh, Kevin Jackson on about a month or two ago, and we had technical difficulties, and the volume was too low to play it. But he said back then that it was right after Beat the Streets. He's like, you know, I don't think that, you know, Kendall Cross is probably on Burroughs' uh, Christmas card list. And, you know, I think that's probably, you know, probably still the case, if not more so now. So, um, but I think the other thing is that, in America, we tend to be really myopic. We tend to focus on our guys. And I think we just kind of forget there's some really good guys wrestling around the world. And, you know, the other thing is it's not like Italy has a really deep wrestling team. You know, I don't know who Chimizo would train with over there that would actually be able to push him. You know, so I think, and, and then the other argument is, well, that's not America's problem. We can go somewhere else and train. But, you know, who, the argument then is, well, who would take him? You know, like, would the Russians let them train with them? You know, with the Azerbaijanis, you know, would, would Iran, who would do it? And, you know, it, it's, it's a super interesting question. I think it's really layered. Um, I see both sides. I certainly see your point of, you know, iron sharpens iron, and it's good for storylines and everything else. But I do understand people. You know, I had a friend of mine actually messaged me, you know, upset about it, you know, like genuinely upset about it. So I, I see both sides. Um, but I don't think it's going to change. It's going to be really interesting going forward. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I can understand why some people are upset about it, and I think some of the people whose initial reaction is negative when they take a minute to think about it will probably have a little bit less of a negative reaction because it's kind of one of those things that hits you in the face. Like, wait, we're letting this guy that just beat our best, one of our best guys ever, we're we're training him like that. I understand that doesn't look quite right, but one of the other things, like you mentioned, you know, we're trying to build up these RTCs and there's only so many places that can have, you know, world team members, you know, the top Americans. After that, how do you create a buzz? Well, like you said, you know, you, you get Frank Chimizo in there suddenly, you know, I, I don't know a lot about, about a lot of rich people, but from what I understand, they have, a lot of ego sometimes. And when you can point to that and go, Hey, our RTC has this guy that's a cha- is a world champion. Suddenly it makes it a little easier. Hey, that you, you can support us. And then you, you know, you're supporting this place that wins. People like that. People like the winners. They want, they, they want to be attached to that. And suddenly maybe he writes a big check and maybe that benefits a few Americans down the road that maybe wouldn't have gotten a stipend, wouldn't have gotten a sponsorship. Cause you know, I mean, like you were mentioning Chimizo might go el- elsewhere and I think he does train in Dagestan sometimes. So it's not like it's, he's only going to train in New York city. He goes around the world and trains wherever. And a lot of our guys go overseas and train in different places. You know, it's, that's wrestling. So to me, I, I hope people will think that through. I think my tune would change a little bit if, we had an RTC that was completely sponsoring nothing but foreign athletes. That would be weird, but one or two here and there, I don't have a problem with it at all. So moving yeah. on, yeah, moving on from that, uh, like I said, we had the entire contingent, all 10 in action. Um, I think we'll just go through the weights here um, and get a little quick reaction on each Thomas Gilman, you know, there's a lot of talk about Dayton Fix or Spencer Lee taking his spot, which is odd for a world silver medalist, but I kind of understand it. He's doing everything he can to – I mean, he he won't have to wrestle those guys again until next year, but 
he's really putting himself at the top of the pecking order. He wins, uh, beats Salimhen Atli in the semifinals, I believe, uh, on his way through of Turkey, and then uh, beat the Belarusian in the finals and is now second overall in the UWW point standing. He's looking good for a seed with one tournament to go. David, is he going to do this again and be another get a world medal again? You know, obviously I don't know, but I think your point is really well taken that he's got the seeding points and he's, you know, his style, his style doesn't slump. Like the only time he really gets beat is when he gets countered on his shots, but he's really, really strong for that weight. He's gigantic for that weight. He's in great shape. He's got heavy hands. I mean, obviously, like, if he became a hammer on top, that would be an area I think probably his most significant potential improvement. But, he, you know, he's got that swing single, and he can get to the legs, and it's just about, for him, finishing quicker, you know, to be, to you know, really just to be a world champion because obviously he's proved he could do it. I mean, he had a great draw last year, but you still got to beat those guys. And, you know, then he had a tough World Cup. But those matches were close. And, you know, I think in America, we look at it more like, well, if you got to the legs and didn't finish, we can fix that easier than the guy that never got to our legs and was scoring all on defense. I'm not sure that that's always correct, but that's how we look at it. So you have to be encouraged by Gilman, for sure. Absolutely. And I think uh, the the thing I'm most impressed with with Gilman is he's he's resilient. I mean, made the team last year obviously going through the last chance qualifier after not winning an NCAA title. I mean, a lot of guys that would have dented their confidence a little bit didn't seem to do that at all with Gilman. And like you said, at World Cup, he struggled a little bit, had some people asking some questions of, you know, looking at that draw last year and going, well, maybe he's a one-hit wonder. And here he is again, you know, went through the trials, no problem, handled date and fix that a lot of people thought would give him some trouble. And then now he's winning this and he's second in the world right now. now the Japanese guy that he's had a lot of trouble with is not looking like he's going to be seated. So he'll be random drawn in Um, who knows where he'll land, but you got to like where Gilman's at right now. Right. For sure. For sure. For sure. 61 kilos did not place. Um, Unfortunately, nation went out early and did not get pulled back into the repishage. Um, 65 was a little surprising. Steber struggled again, lost first match, didn't get pulled back in. You know, we've, we saw him at World Cup struggle for a little while, and then he had that big win against Azerbaijan, and then now we're here again. What do you make of his struggles? I think it's more struggles. Um, I talked to somebody I trust, and they told me that Haji Aliyev was was injured at the World Cup. And so if that's true... You know, that maybe puts a little different perspective on on the win. Not, I mean, you know, the guy wrestled, he beat him fair and square. Um, I think he's struggling for consistency. Uh, you know, you know, and he, you know, he kind of moved around in his training some too, right? Because like he went down to Norman to train to to, uh, to wrestle off McKenna. I don't know if wrestling off McKenna really helped him in the sense that you know, there's not any animosity there at all, which is, is good in real life, but it might not have been good in terms of preparation. So, you know, obviously Logan's super talented. He's another guy that can get the legs a lot. Him and 
and Mason both obviously, you know, the four guys that didn't place are all guys, especially the next two that we'll talk about, or, you know, guys, but really all of them, like, you know, Steve won a non-Olympic weight world title. Jaden's a bronze medalist. You know, James is a, a silver medalist. You know, so if you're looking, and we'll probably talk about the overall team thing, but, you know, if you win the team title without your two hammers winning it, without two other medalists placing, it kind of bodes well for the future, that's for sure. It does, and I think, you know, we know Steber can score. Obviously got a nightmare draw last year, so that's, you know, that's going to happen. But, yeah, it's concerning to see him drop so many matches to guys that really he shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't be struggling with if he's going to win a medal again. Um, But we know he's got that talent in there. We just have to see if he can figure it out again. Um, as you alluded to, 70 kilos, James Green might have been the most surprising loss of the weekend. I mean, he does this now and then, but it seems like every time we think he's figured it out to the point where he's just going to medal at every event he goes to, he does this. And then we kind of go, oh, yeah, he's not he's not a machine. He can lose sometimes. Um yeah. to guys that aren't world medal level. So he went out, didn't get pulled back in, really hurts from a seating standpoint. But, you know, I, to me, I think he's still, he's proven he can do it through any sort of draw. So I don't see anyone out there that he can't beat, um, especially with Chimizo up at 74 kilos. You got yeah. to still think Green's a, a final finalist type of wrestler, right? Certainly on paper. Again, him wrestling Chamberlain, you know, and sit, you know, sitting the final X and having a guy that he knew very well and really low scoring matches and not a lot of offense. And, and, you know, he doesn't control who comes to the bracket and he doesn't control who he's trained with before, but it is, you know, again, it's just a weird environment to get ready for, you know, these tournaments. I think the other thing that, and it's easy to say this, but it applies to all the countries, not just the Americans. Some of these guys are on different training cycles. Not everybody peaked 100% for Yasser Dogu. I mean, theoretically, they, they did. But in reality, some of these guys might still be working on some things. And maybe they're not 100%. You know, so those kind of things. You know, it, that's obviously a great answer for the guys that lost. And, you know, somehow all of our guys that won beat the other countries all at 100%. But the reality is probably... There's a bunch of guys at every weight that won 100%, and they're all trying to peak for you know for Budapest, not for Turkey. So you know it, that can make a difference as well. But Green's not a guy you really worry about. But in, I would not want to be a training partner in Nebraska with both those guys taking losses and coming back to that room. Like you know Brian Brian uh, Snyder's probably going to need the cold tub a lot for the next couple of weeks because <laughs> I have a feeling those guys are going to be getting after it, man. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, you hit on a good point there. It's something we've seen in international wrestling for years. You know, guys take more losses. And it's not just because these are the best wrestlers in the world. It's because they are, you know, they'll go to things at different spots in their training cycle. They'll wrestle up a weight. They'll, you know, they don't necessarily take every competition as the be-all, end-all, I-have-to-win-it kind of thing. They'll work on stuff. They'll do different things. So. I think the U.S. has figured that out a little bit more, um, especially our senior level. The, you know, they do that. I don't, I don't know how you could how you could peak for the trials 
and Final X, which is so important because you have to make the team or you don't get this chance, then peak a month later for Yasser Dogu, then peak four months later for – or three months later for the World Championships. You know, that's that's a lot of peaking. So I, your point is well taken. I think that if you're going to let any – competition be on your off cycle it's got to be this one yeah that's exactly right yeah for sure moving up to 74 kilos we talked about it a little bit chimizo is now number one in uww points beating jordan burroughs 10 to 10 uh we kind of beat that one into the ground so we'll just move on um but i agree with your point that uh burroughs will be plenty motivated to go back and train hard and flip that result in Budapest. Uh, 79 kilos, Kyle Dake. I mean, what can you say about the guy? He just keeps dominating the competition. He is now fourth in seeding points. That's largely just because of he didn't go to his continental championships, the Pan Ams. Uh, But he just cruised by another solid field and just wrecked everyone. Well, you made this point last week, and I had a couple of my, my buddies tell me what a great job you did this on explaining the weighted bracket or the unbalanced bracket. And that I think we said this on air, but maybe I know we did at least off air that sometimes the four seed might be better than the three seed, at least in terms of having one less match, especially if one and two aren't, you know, aren't that different. So, you know, if they can, you know, stay in that four hole, you know, he, he's, you know, out, you know, an extra round, he doesn't get a pigtail match and it's, you know, you never know who you're going to draw, but you're not going to draw the number one seed to the semis. Obviously, if you lose that guy, you know, you're only one match away from a bronze. Right. So, but he, he looked super impressive, obviously. And just, you know, it's cool. Cormier tweeted out to him and Taylor combined, like how many of those guys pinned and that how many years of international wrestling he did. He didn't know if he'd pinned that many guys ever. And they, you know, they combined and pinned more guys in one tournament than he might have had in his international career, which a is incredibly impressive, and b a pretty awesome shout out. And, you know, talking about giving people bath and love, that was pretty cool. It was. I saw that, and I mean, yeah, we'll get to. I guess we'll move on to David Taylor because he pinned everybody. I mean, goodness, I, I don't know if. <laughs> people that are kind of just jumping on the freestyle international train, you know, now that we won a title last year, which I'm glad they are, but I don't know if people really understand how big a deal that is. It just, it doesn't happen in freestyle. It doesn't happen at the international level. And this is not, you know, I'm, we kind of made jokes about the Grand Prix of Spain last year. You know, it was pretty weak. We made a lot of jokes about that, but this wasn't, this was a pretty solid field of, good international wrestlers and David Taylor just, they, he pinned them all, which is unbelievable. I mean, teching your way through happens. It would have been very impressive, but to pin all of them was just, it's absurd what he's doing. And, you know, he, I, I like your point about the four seed. Taylor is the second right now. Um, so he might, I mean, this is one of those weird things because it's going to, you know, you say, well, he's the second seed. That I, I agree with you. I think Dake, if he hangs on to the four, will be better placed because at neither one of those weights is there a one seed that's just far and away better. And because of the way the points work, even if there is, they might not get the one seed if they didn't wrestle all the time. So, right. I mean. Well, yeah, Donnie Chirani is obviously special, you know, at 86. 
you know. Right, but he won't, Taylor, he won't be seated. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just right. saying that, that, that's what, that was my point was he he would be the one seed that, you know, the definitely the biggest threat to Taylor, but he's not going to earn a seed because he's he hadn't wrestled enough. Yeah, which could then be a blessing or a nightmare, right? Right. Like, you know, I mean, you, you know, you what you really hope is like that guy draws the number one seed like in the pigtail or the first round, like the round of 16, you know, you're on the bottom. But I think what's interesting to think about is Dake and Taylor are like, you know, sort of NCAA folk style legends, right? You know, Taylor for his dominance and Hodge Trophy kind of season, his career very much mirrored like a Ben Askren in terms of placing and bonus point wins. And then Dake, you know, we know the story, four titles, four different weights, no red shirts, you know, beat Taylor every time, moved up to beat Taylor. You know, but neither one of these guys have ever been on a world team. So it's going to be super interesting because they were sort of the leaders of this team, you know, this past week and those two and, and obviously Gilman, but, you know, they're the new guys in terms of how many world teams they've been on. So certainly bodes well, a buddy of mine I talked to today said, you know, he thinks they're going to be fine because they're so hungry, which certainly, you know, theoretically makes sense, but I think if you make a world team, whether it's your first or your 10th, I, I mean, I don't think Jordan Burroughs is any less hungry. And if, again, if he was, or Snyder was any like one, one thousandth of 1% complacent, that little minute fraction hypothetically is now gone, you know? So it is going to be a lot to ask those guys to perform at the level we're expecting them to literally at their first world championships, but they've created super high expectations for themselves. So it kind of feels like it is, it, it feels like at least to me that we realistically think these guys can podium, if not win it. And, you know, that's, that's a, whatever they do, that's a credit to them for having, you know, done so much before they made their first world team. And it is probably the biggest compliment you can give to Jordan Burroughs and a Jaden Cox. These guys have been kept up world teams by guys like them. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's something we used to see a lot. Guys goes to his first world championships and we all think he's great because we've seen him wrestle for years in college. And then a lot of times that didn't work out well. I, I have higher hopes for Dake and Taylor. For one, they've been around a long time. You know, they're they're both have several years out of school and um, especially Taylor has wrestled pretty much every good wrestler at 86 kilos at this point and has dealt with them all. So He's really, I can't imagine a guy going to his first world championships with more experience than Taylor at this point. And Dake has plenty, yeah. even though he hasn't, I mean, there's some guys that he hasn't faced yet just because of who has shown up to different tournaments, but I, I think he'll be all right too. But you're right. There's an, there's a little bit of that. I mean, even, you know, we saw it in Rio with Burroughs, you know, st- weird stuff happens even to guys that have, you know, proven veterans you look back through history at some of the legends of the sport almost all of them have won world championships or won olympics where they didn't place and it just happens sometimes so it's compounded on your first trip i hope they can keep their nerves in check but yeah it's something to watch for their first round i mean there's going to be some some serious butterflies there no question right for sure we move up to 92 kilos um (laughs) You know, Jaden Cox had been – I don't I don't know. He's – you know Jaden a little bit better than I do, but he's just a, 
a puzzle sometimes. He's just a different kind of dude, wrestles a little bit different. You just never know what you're going to get. And he's so good that it's really, it's disappointing when he doesn't come through because he so often does. Yeah, I don't want to say so often does. I mean, you know, he came out of nowhere, like he was the nine seed and made the Olympic, you know, won the Olympic trials. And then, you know, I got a chance to listen to him. If you ever talk to him, ask him about his passport story, because that's a great story. You know, when he'd go over to Mongolia and then qualify the weight and then go to the Olympics and not give up a takedown. And really, if he probably had a different voice in the corner, might very well have made the Olympic finals and then come back and, you know, take third the next year in the world. I think he is frustrating to guys that don't have a lot of talent because he's talented and it looks like he could score all the time whenever he wants. I think he's kind of going through a growth pattern where he is working on new things. And anybody that's ever wrestled, I think we all wrestled, most of us, and then, but we don't always remember things accurately. And part of remembering things accurately is and Kendall Cross said this on the podcast he was on with me, and he said, learning and improvement are not linear. And I think that's really powerful. I think Jaden might be taking a step back in a couple areas to get a lot better. And then, you know, we saw him get a lot better in final acts on top, lacing, you know, getting a lace for a tech fall. And to go, okay, well, he's got that figured out. Well, no, he had it figured out for that match. It doesn't mean he's got it figured out for the rest of his life. And so I think him and KJ are working on stuff. Jaden might have the healthiest attitude about losing of anybody I know that's like that I'm actually sort of friends with at a really high level. It doesn't bother him. He just looks at it as a chance to get better. And or if it does bother him, he does a really good job of hiding it. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Maybe he's just a great poker player, but um, he's really healthy about it. He, you know, he just figures out what he has to learn from it and he gets better. And he also has a supreme level of confidence in himself. And, you know, I would, too, if I had his resume. So, I, I'm, I mean, I'm biased because I like him a lot, but I'm not really worried about him. Like, I think he's going to be fine. You know, he's just got to make some adjustments. You know, and that's, you know, like like him and James Green, like those guys especially, you, you, they've done it before on the big stage. It's almost like when we're going to talk about Snyder here in a minute, the loss is the shocking part you know, not the wins. And that's, you know, that's when you know you're good, when you're losing matches at a high, high level and people are shocked. Yeah. That means, you know, you've done something right. Yeah. And I, I agree with what you said about Cox. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I completely get that from just, you know, listening to interviews a couple of times I've talked to him, you know, the, the, the fact that it probably doesn't phase him. I couldn't tell if it did. Um, I mean, that's not to say he's not competitive and that he doesn't want to win. He's just, like I said, it's healthy. That's a, that's a good way to be. But for those of us that lost our temper a lot when we lost, when, you know, during our careers, that's that kind of stuff, especially at that level, it's, it blows my mind. Um, it's a good thing that he's, you know, it's not messing with his confidence that he's still working, you know, that he's, he's got a healthy attitude towards it, but it just, it blows my mind. It amazes me that guys can be that way and still be, you know, world champion types, you know, type contenders. So I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm worried about him at all. Um, I just, you know, I think he has a chance to be a world champion someday and 
this loss doesn't really do anything to change that. It's just disappointing from a fan perspective, but you know, that's sports for you. Sometimes your, your team loses, right? So, well, the other thing that we forget about Jaden is he wrestled as a true freshman, you know, never redshirted, came straight through, really did no, no freestyle wrestling really to speak of like wrestled university nationals one year and got like headlocked by the kids from Indiana. You know, but like, I mean, he was, you know, really good in high school that him and Snyder would always flip flop and freestyle and Greco at Fargo, but wrestled like, you know, from his senior year or probably his junior year at Fargo till the Olympic trials, probably less than 10 freestyle matches. Right. But his freestyle learning curve is still really steep. Yep. Maybe not his wrestling learning curve, but his freestyle learning curve is really steep. And he's really young. He's just biologically young. And his freestyle clock, he's super young. So I think he has such poise. I mean, you know, he, this, you know, the, the story was he had to pull Mike Ironman together before the bronze medal match in Rio. Like he had to get, you know, Mike was emotional and he had to get pulled in together. Right. So, you know, I, I would not take Jaden's poise as anything, but he, you know, probably a tremendous asset of a young man with an old soul, you know, that we should all aspire to certainly not, you know, a lack of competitiveness or anything else. I think he sees it as I can beat my family off. And then when it's over, I shake hands and I hug win or lose. Right. And I think, you know, yeah, but I I have zero concerns about him and take, you know, KJ and him are going to sit down and break the tape down. And I think we'll just see a better version. I really do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that's the and that's the right way to be. It's just completely foreign to me, so I have a hard time figuring that out. It's just you know, and I think other people that rest, a lot of us, you know, in the wrestling community don't have, didn't always have a, a healthy um, attitude towards that. But if if he's got it, that's great for him, and he certainly does appear that way. You know, Snyder, right. you know, moving up to '97, where Kyle Snyder lost to Alvarado of Azerbaijan and came back to get third. You know, he's often said that, I mean, he doesn't lose often, but he does take losses here and there over the years. He wasn't, you know, Burroughs winning a million matches in a row to start his senior career, but he's often talked about, you know, the outcome isn't, you know, what we're worried about. It's the process and, you know, how we do things and that kind of stuff. And that's, it kind of is in the same vein, you know, he's going to go over there and prepare and work on things and do his thing. And then if the outcome doesn't go his way, but he did all the things that he was supposed to do and he got better, then that's okay. So I think, you know, you, you mentioned it a little bit that, you know, you're not worried about Kyle Snyder. I don't know how anyone could be. We've seen this before taking a loss in the summer and then going on to win a world championship. So hard to be worried about him, but at the same time, it's like, Hey, Kyle Snyder lost. That's a headline. It's certainly a headline. I also think he is a guy that understands you have to try things in the fight, in the fire to know if you actually have them, whether it's a new setup, whether it's a new finish, whether it's just a new hand fight. And the other thing is, you know, I think he's been pulled pretty hard in that rudest direction with, you know, the the shoes and everything else. So, you know, he may not have been a thousand percent focused, you know, like he normally would be without that. Snyder, our, our sort of, you know, the mulligan with Snyder is is a tribute to his greatness, but it's a real tribute to Jordan Burroughs' greatness. You know, that, like you said, he doesn't lose these matches. 
you know, I think both those guys are, you know, they're after, you know, it's like they're be- building kingdoms and empires, you know, like that kind of thing, you know, that they want to be goats. So, you know, nobody's going to remember, you know, Yasser Dogu, they're going to remember the world. So and no one's going to remember beat the streets. You're going to be like, who won the world in 2018? You know, so, you know, I think Snyder's a guy that, you know, he lives wrestling. I mean, you know, I, I don't have a, a, I don't have a big presence on Twitter, but I follow a lot of guys that do it. Like he pulled up some notebook from when he was in college and he's like, yeah, I was always studying. I was just taking a different class and it was all these like hand, these notes, handwritten notes that he was taking in class about how to get better. I mean, so I think he's probably like Jaden, you know, maybe their personalities are a little different, but all right, well, he took a loss, figure out what to do and, that a guy and he'll never beat me again, you know, so. Yeah, I think it's you know, a testament to how good he is in that weight class. If if Sajulayev wasn't coming up to 97, which seems likely he is now, like Elbarov's probably the number two in the world. And it, he lost a 3-3 match, and there's some people going, what, what happened to Snyder? Well, yeah, he, no one is that far out in front of everyone else to, you know, to win every single time. So, you know, like I said, he's – We've been here before with him, and um, he'll he'll get better and figure it out. By World Championship time, I'm sure we're going to be betting on him. Now, he won't be seated, yeah. and neither will Sajalayev if he does go 97. So that's going to be a madhouse to draw those two into the bracket. We'll have to hold our breath again, just like we did last year, to see where the where each one falls to hope they're on the opposite sides of the bracket. But uh, that could be, that could be a nightmare draw for somebody. Well, it is going to be a nightmare draw for somebody. <laughs> one of those guys. Well, I just kind of wrestle with a seed, and they should be the one and two seed. So, yeah, right. for sure. We, we could see the situation last year where you end up with one of the top four, or like Alvarov possibly, could get Snyder in the first round, and the winner could get Sajulayev. And then one of those guys didn't go in place, which right. that's the weakness. Yeah, that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's interesting. Um, Gwiz earned a nice bronze medal. He is number one in the seeding points now. Um, Atgul won't be seeded at 125, and Petriashvili is third right now, which sets up the possibility that Gwiz could be on the top line with the two title contenders on the bottom. Um, however, he's still going to have to beat some guys that you know beat him this weekend. So, you know, it's funny. He's... It seems like Gwiz's entire career, he's been a little underrated from what he should be, even though everyone acknowledges he's really good. Um, there's always another guy out there, right, that, you know, kind of maybe he's coming or just got done. I, I always seem – I don't ever feel like he gets to be the guy. Um, do you feel that way? Yeah. You know what's funny is you and me – were kind of acquaintances, obviously, before we were friends. And when Gwiz was going into his senior year, you know, we're talking about, like, the three-time national championship curse, you know, the heavyweight. And, you know, Snyder beat him. And then, you know, then Kuhn beat Snyder in the dual meet. And so, yeah, I mean, Gwiz is really good. I mean, he took seventh as a true freshman and then redshirted and then won it, won it. Stopped Tony Nelson from being a three-timer. And then, you know, only got stopped by, you know, maybe the guy that's going to end up being the greatest American wrestler, maybe the greatest wrestler in the world of all time. And, and 
be, and only because Snyder was able to ride him for like 12 seconds or because he actually won more takedowns in regulation. Right. So yeah, he's, you know, he's underrated from that perspective, but it feels like those two guys, you know, on the international level are on their own tier. And it feels like Gwiz is at or near the top of that next tier. So it feels like sort of bronze medal it would be, is fair for him and his skill level at this point, but that he's certainly improving and knocking on the door of that, you know? So it's, uh, but he, he's been a very impressive, continues to be an impressive work in progress for sure. Absolutely. I think every time I see him, he looks a little bit better, which is, you know, that's saying something when you've wrestled and won as many matches as he has, you know, guys at this level to be, to be visibly improved, that takes a lot. So I'm, I'm very interested. I mean, obviously he took the loss this weekend, so it's hard to say, well, yeah, you're up there with Petriashvili and Akul, because I think you're right. Those two are separated at the front, but I'd be interested to see what, what he has for those guys in October, see if he can creep closer and maybe even pull off the upset. I, I'll be interested to see. Um, you mentioned it earlier, the men's freestyle team did win. The U.S. did win the team title at Yasudogu, even with some of the losses we detailed. Um, you know, obviously, Russia didn't send – I don't know if they sent anybody. They definitely did not send their A team. Yeah, it looks like there's a few Russians in the results, but they didn't send their A team. But anytime you can win one of the four – you know, big tournaments outside of the Continentals, that's a big deal. Um, especially, yeah, for sure. you know, and, and that's to do it when you didn't have your perfect day really speaks to the depth of this team, I think. Right. Like if, if you know, it's like doing like an, you know, an NFL pool and you pick your games and you do them in terms of certainty, most people's certainty picks would have been, you know, neither in some order, you know, as a one, two. So for, you know, the, them to be four or five on the list of placers for the United States behind the three champions is, is absolutely right in terms of depth, for sure. Yeah, and it will, it'll be interesting. Obviously, UWW changed the team scoring a little bit. Um, it emphasizes gold medals more than it used to. Um, it's a little more top-heavy than the old scoring system. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, draws will be more important than ever this year. You know, it's. I know people will say, well, if you're going to win it, you have to beat everybody. But, you know, those early rounds, especially when you get into the, you know, round of 16, quarter, semifinal, um, you know, back-to-back-to-back, they can be quick turns. And if one guy gets an easy win and another has to battle, that can be tough. So... It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, Russia will bring bring a good team. It looks like Iran is starting to bounce back. But um, as far as the Team USA defending its title in October, I think this just proves that we have a chance. You know, I mean, obviously, we didn't see Russia. I think that's a realistic way to look at it is, you know, America won. They deserved to win. They won on the last match by one point. It wasn't like they stroked everybody out. And I think if they win, it's going to be something very similar to that, you know? So, I mean, obviously there's more weight classes and I certainly think you can say now that a couple of those weight classes favor the United States with how Taylor and Dake have done internationally, which is a lot of people thought, but you know, it's, it's different. You know, I mean, and I guarantee you that, you know, what these guys placed here is not how they're going to place, you know, like the identical slots, the world, you know? So, 
Right. It's, uh, you know, the other thing that's kind of goofy about team points, now we can go to kind of some of this, you know, uh, commitment stuff, but it's so hard to even tell what the team score is to like the semifinals. All you really know before then is who's out. Right. You don't know who's in, you know, then you win the semis in the top and I win the semis in the bottom. And it's like, okay, those guys both got second place points. The two guys that lost in the semis, you know, they're guaranteed like fifth place points or, you know, tied for fifth place points. You just start penciling stuff in. It's it's just weird. Like it's not like the NCAA tournament where, you know, you get a pin in the first round and you got three points and, you know, those points can't get be taken away unless, you know, you go ahead and or miss weight or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, it, it's much harder to follow a team race in the early rounds. Cause like you said, it's, you can only hurt your chances in the early rounds. So <laughs> that's, right. that's a perfect way to say it for sure. Yeah. And, and I will say the last thing I want to say about Yasser Dogu, it's, it's really the Dake Taylor thing. You know, for years we've watched Russia show up with guys that we never heard of and then those guys would win or come close to it. And it's just really nice to finally be that country that's going to show up with two guys that, I mean, the, the people that have been paying attention internationally know these guys, but fans that only watch the world championships or Olympics in other countries will be like, Oh, these guys have never been here before. They have no idea what's coming. So that's, that's really cool for team USA to have finally. So for sure. moving on to some college commitment news. Um, it was quite a week, uh, especially in the upper weights. Uh, Arizona State picks up Colton Schultz and Zane Coleman of Choctaw. David, what is going on in the desert? Well, they got money coming free. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that, that's it, right? Like, you know, you know, shout out to Zeke and Lee and that crew. But, I mean, it's hard to recruit when you don't have any money. And so when money comes free, you can start recruiting, you know, the right guys. We had talked before about how all the heavyweights were kind of spread out. And, you know, it felt like ASU needed to get a guy. And, you know, Colton Schultz was their guy. And he's, you know, really good, arguably the number one ranked kid in the class of 19. And, you know, at a weight where, you know, and we'll obviously talk about Kirkley, but, you know, whether there's a Gable Stevenson and a Chase Singletary and a Neville and, you know, Zach Elam and, you know, a bunch of these other guys are all kind of spread out, you know, uh, Cassiope, you know, this, there's just uh, Mason Paris. I mean, it's kind of weird where there's this many guys, you kind of go, well, that guy's going to be an All-American, that guy's going to be an All-American. All of a sudden, you've named like nine guys that you think are going to be All-American at heavyweight. And by definition, you're wrong about one of them because there can only be eight. So it's the same so way if you wanted to. Yeah, it's the same way we have top 10 every year in the NCAA, and 20 teams are guaranteed top 10. It is, but, I mean, and I know you're kind of being, you know, facetious about it, but it's weird that you're penciling in freshmen at heavyweight. Yep. You know, like, you know, like a Spencer Lee, you know, like a Dayton Fix, like some of those guys in those lower weights. It's just weird to have that many hammers coming out at that weight class. It's just not normal. So it's very interesting. Um, you know, before we get to Kirkley, which I think is probably how we'll, we'll close the show, you know, Madrigal transferred Paul Dominion to George Mason. Tristan Moran has announced he's leaving Oklahoma State. And then I got to give a shout-out because he's a, a local kid here in St. Louis, Ty Arini, just a hammer out of Segment High School, which is about – it's just outside, like, the you know, the St. Louis County limits here, um, committed to North Carolina State. So – 
Pat Pop and Obi and that crew, they got a good one there with Kai. Absolutely. And, you know, we've seen a fair amount of transfer activity this, you know, this off season. And, you know, we talked about last show, the new transfer rules coming. Yeah, I think we'll see more of that. But, you know, I can't blame a kid, you know, definitely in the case of Moran, you know, he probably wasn't going to start. And, you know, you saw the same thing with Oklahoma, same school, Oklahoma State, you know, Gary Wayne Harding transferring to North Carolina, same thing. He didn't really have a starting spot. I can't blame a kid for going somewhere and looking for a spot in the lineup when that occurs. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons to transfer. Wish all those guys the best. Um, going to Daniel, to Kirkfleet, um, that was, that caught me off guard a little bit this week. Decided to decommit from OSU. Um, Oklahoma State is still on his list of four, which also includes Ohio State, Penn State, and Nebraska. Although, you know, it's been pointed out, I don't, I cannot remember a time when a guy decommitted from a school, <laughs> kept him on the list, and then went back. I, I don't remember that happening. Um, I guess there's a first time for everything. But so, you know, I, I read Kirkfleet's statement that he put out, and to me, it said, you know, reading between the lines a little bit said, I didn't like Oklahoma State's RTC. Is that what you read into it? Um, I mean, yeah, kind of. I think that, you know, he's trying to look at options. I mean, first of all, I, I, I kind of knew from somebody kind of in the vault that this was going to happen a couple months ago. But um, it was, you know, obviously, you know, you know, for like certain eyes only, and it wasn't a given until it's a given. But um, he's super talented, and he's really sought after because not only does he win, but he scores a ton of bonus points. And I think he's he's like a lot of these guys where their goal really isn't just to win NCAA titles. And you know, Oklahoma State used to be arguably the premier place in the country to do that, but. You know, they had that unbelievable streak of having an Olympic team member like from like the 1920s or 30s through Coleman Scott. And, you know, now, you know, they didn't in 2016. And, you know, I guess Dayton Fix would be their best prospect for 2020, but it's it's not deep like it is at some other places where you go, oh, well, Nebraska's got Green and Burroughs. You know, Snyder's got Steber and uh, Snyder, you know, Penn State's got Zane and Taylor, you know, like I think that's how you're going to get these elite guys by having these RTCs. And it's funny when the first, when the RTCs first started popping up, I thought the the college program was going to drive the RTCs. And I, I think I was wrong. I think it's the other way around. So I, it's interesting, you know, Kirkley's a big guy and, you know, I don't know who he'd work out with in Nebraska, but I'm sure they would figure it out. I mean, no Dom's there. So they'd have him and, you know, some guys like that. Obviously, at Penn State, he can work out with Kale and Jake Varner and Cunningham and those guys. And um, Ohio State just had a pretty good guy graduate at heavyweight this year that Kirk Creek could probably work out with, too. So, you know, I, I think those things kind of make sense in hindsight. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, people have all different opinions on this, and I think we've touched on it. I don't think there's anything wrong with – coaches that genuinely want these kids and want what's best for them, it might be also what's best for the program to continue to recruit them until they actually sign. Cause you know, 
people see things in a different light. And, you know, this is a, a hugely important decision for all these young men. And, you know, they, they should be allowed to change their mind. And that the NCAA has agreed to that with, with how they're handling transfers now. So, I mean, it, it's tough for Oklahoma State. You know, they're on the list. Maybe they'll get him. But they have to recruit now like they're not. And now they go have to go get a heavyweight. And that's a weight that they've kind of put together, which is, you know, blowing up some – 97 pounders pretty successfully the last couple of years, but you know, they need to get a hammer up there. Like, you know, somebody at the end of the lineup that can score points for them on a consistent basis. Yep. I, uh, I agree with everything you said on that one. Um, I think it's, I, I don't really, I guess I don't really like the proliferation of recruiting news. Well, I shouldn't say I don't like it. I just don't really buy much stock in, in it. So you know, we get all these commitments for 2019 before guys can even talk about scholarship money with the coaches, before they can sign a letter of intent. You know, some of these kids are committing as sophomores, and it's just – so when one changes their mind, it's kind of – of course they did. You know, they're they're teenagers. They, right. This, they're getting bombarded with all these different options. You know, there's a million – different things they can look at and you know it's the information age so you can get just about any piece of information you want on any school any coach any you know potential workout partner i i guess my thing is okay yeah he decommitted but okay he wasn't really committed in the first place you know it's it's one of those things i'm you know if they want to commit early that's their prerogative but until they've signed that letter of intent it might as well you know, it's completely meaningless. It might as well be not committed at all. So, it, it, you know, it's crazy now. Even when they sign the letter of intent, based on these new transfer rules, true. You know, it won't matter until they show up on campus. Yeah, and 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 even then, after the year, they can leave again. So, right. But at least you got them for a year. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 It's less and less certainty for sure. You know, that's probably, you know, we know we touched on it, but that would be a subject of a very interesting conversation about the pros and cons of all that. But we'll probably save that for another time. You know, we've, we've gone, we've covered a lot of stuff here in the last hour, my friend. We have, and it's, you know, it's, it, it, all of it is just an adjustment. Things change, and sometimes for the better, sometimes not. And I think this is one of those that you'll get both sides, depending on who you ask. So it, do you have anything else for our loyal listeners that have gone over an hour listening to us prattle on no thank you for all for listening <laughs> we love, we're nerds we love talking about this stuff we try to get better at being short-winded about it but uh, we appreciate you guys listening 100 percent for sure you know i think when we talked before the show i think we said we were going to do five minutes on to me there's no way we kept that to five minutes it's just not possible <laughs> there you go if anyone's still listening, thank you. Episode 91 is in. It's presented by Track Wrestling. Signing off.